For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's the entire crew. We're all here. I, I got a nasty head cold and for like two days could not talk without coughing. I feel like that's been an ongoing thing this year, man. Just back and forth. Always something. We, had, we missed Isaac because of internet. Candace had work stuff. I'm sick. Family's got stuff going on. Here we are. Just like the Grizzlies beaten, battered, battle-tested, and down three to one to the Los Angeles Fakers and all their imaginary fans out here. Coming back home, game five is tomorrow night in Memphis. Candace, let's go to you first. Do the Grizzlies make this a three two series and we go back to LA for game six? Or is the series over? I think they can win at home. I do think they can win at home. They they're you know great on great at home. Uh, I think they're gonna want to try to extend the series. Uh, if I if if there is a chance if there is a chance that Taylor Jenkins is gonna make any adjustments, it's gonna be when there's absolutely no other choice. We've learned so maybe maybe something will be done different. Um, but I, I think they definitely is. It's question is you know what happens in Game Six is the biggest question. But I do expect them to at least get this win right here at home. Yeah, man, I, I've been saying all day that I, I don't think the series is is over at all. Um, I think you go back to that Warrior series last year, and they'd even have John Moran in that game, and they blew him out um, in, in game five to, to extend that series. And this has just been a different team at home. And it's weird because you have a team that had the best record in the NBA on, on their home floor at FedEx Forum, only lost six games in a regular season. To have the home road splits they have is just weird for a team to be that good and just for some reason just continue to fall apart on the road. Uh, but I, I think they win easily tomorrow night. The only way that I think that they don't is if they've just mentally checked out. Like you, I think you will know very early on if they're still in it. Uh, you all of this, the backlash stuff after the game. Uh, Jai and Dylan Brooks didn't speak to the media, so there's a possibility that maybe they've just they're thinking Cancun. They've checked out on this on this series, but if, if they have not, I think they get the job done at home. We've seen this team and how well that they play on, on the home floor. It's just a different basketball team. And as Candace said, we'll see what happens beyond that. But they're definitely due. Um, I mean, this team is due. I mean, they haven't won a road game where they were the underdog all season. Um, and I think they're, what, they'll be 0-16 now? Or 0-16, 0-17 when they're a road underdog this season. They're just due. They're also 0-4 at crypto this year, which, I mean, you just think at some point they just feel like, they're due for a game to regress to the mean. And every, the deck would be – we talked about going into game uh, three, how the deck would be stacked against them. Deck would really be stacked against them game six. You know, referee's going to be on one. They'll try to let the Lakers close it out. Uh, they're going to be on their home floor. The crowd's going to be crazy. But, I mean, we've seen this team do some crazy things, man. I never, never, ever count them out. So, if they can win tomorrow night, if they 
they could go find a way to get a win on L.A. on Friday. This comes back to Memphis on Sunday, man. All bets are off at that point. Because, uh, again, we talked about how good this team is on the home floor. So it, it's, it sounds crazy uh, that this team could, could win three in a row, but I don't think it's as crazy as it sounds because even without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark and even the fact that they're down 3-1, I still feel like the Grizzlies, even in this version of them, it's a better team than the Lakers. I just feel like they just haven't put it together yet. Uh, we, we haven't seen their best basketball. We saw flashes of it in game four, but I still think if they put everything together, I feel like they're the better team and we haven't seen that yet. I believe there's a ceiling that they can reach and they're, they're capable of beating this three team three times in a row. Will they do it? I don't know. Game six again, is going to be tough, but if they get it back to game seven, we'll see what happens. So you mentioned something in there that I want to touch on. I was going to talk a little bit about it later. <clears throat> Excuse me. But since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and, and, and address it right now. You mentioned John Dillon not talking to the media. And then we get a bunch of backlash from media members. Uh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Calkins and uh, Margiannato yeah. also had a excerpt yeah. from the commercial appeal. So I, I have a stance on this, but you, you have – You've been a member of the media far longer than I have. You've dealt with this a lot longer than I have. Do you what what are your thoughts on it? Do you feel like do you side with Jeff and Mark in this ordeal or do you have a different opinion on it? Well, as far as from what I what I'm told, they have some obligation to players as far as the league contractually, they have some obligation to talk to the media. I don't know how you choose what those players are if the media wants to talk to certain players that you're supposed to do media availability. I'm not exactly sure how that works as far as which players have to do it and how all that works. But as far as just from a perspective of should they be in a position where they have to do it? I don't, I don't care to be honest. And I talked about this last night. I, I just think it's a bunch of hoopla about nothing. These are grown men. If they feel like it was a tough game, I'm sure they probably had some stuff that they felt like if they said it, they would get themselves in trouble. Cause We've seen that time and time again when they put mics in front of these guys' faces. There's things that they've taken. Some of the things are brought on for themselves, some things that they should probably say different ways, but a lot of it, a lot of times it's it's taken out of context and put out a different way than it actually was, and they're pissed off and just probably just kind of tired of the whole thing, and I, I understand that because these guys are human. Like, like people, a lot of times media and even fans, and we've talked about that a lot, want to treat these guys like they're robots, like they can just – they owe us something. They can say anything they want to them. They can't say anything back to you. And I just don't agree with that whole concept. Um, and I know how it's going to be. It's already been like that. You knew how the national media was going to respond to this. They've been talking all year. Now they take two bad losses. Now they don't want to say anything. And this team is going to, they're going to, This the reputation of this team has already been made. Whether they talked last night or didn't talk last night, they were going to have something to say. They've been saying they're talking too much. Now that they're not talking, they got a problem with that. Now that they're not talking, they got a problem with that. Like I, so the only thing that's gonna stop or change the reputation of what people are saying about this team is they go out and win. It's about wins and losses and winning big, winning championships. That's the only thing that's gonna stop them. But they've already have this reputation that they talk and don't back it up. And when the, when the moment gets big, they they falter and that they're gonna say that. And they would have said that no matter what they said last night. And they could have said something, and they probably would have had another agenda off of what they said. So. 
even being a person, a member of the media, I, I really don't have any problem with it. Like, I can't say what their duty is to the league. Like I said, I'm not exactly sure how all of that works. But for me, I'm not upset with it. They had, I think, Desmond Bain and a couple other guys talk uh, about the game, Jerry Jackson Jr. And, it, again, man, those though, if they, those guys don't want to talk about the game, man, I don't think they should have to. I don't think the media should feel like they're obligated to have those guys talk to them if they don't want to want to talk to the media, man. That's just where I am. I don't know where you guys are. It's an entitlement thing to me. I feel like a, a lot of the stuff that, uh, and I did not read Mark's full article, but Jeff was very clear in what he said. Yeah, so um, was Mark. And very similar. Like th- th- this, this team needs to grow up. Just because he, you know, like these guys did not come and talk to the media. Yeah, they're I mean, just I, in their feelings about it. That it's it's personal. It, it, I, and I, I get it. You can tell by reading it that it's personal. They were pissed yeah. off because they didn't get a chance to talk to him. I mean, that's that's what it was. Yeah, and, and to me, I I don't feel like the players owe the media anything. This is something. Yeah, the the media covers this league. The media covers this team, these players to bring attention to them. And so, yeah, is there a certain amount that had like a back and forth that has to happen? There is like that, that has to happen. I will agree with that, but there are plenty of times when players don't talk to the media. This is not new. Yeah. It's not like this is not the first time this has happened. And so I just, I'm, I have an issue with the way that that some folks are deciding to to handle this. I I, I don't that I don't know. It, it's just a bad look for me. Like I the the thing with with Dylan not talking. I think that the reason, and this is sheer speculation. I've obviously not heard or read anything at all. I know for a fact that Dylan mentioned that he did not like the picture that the media was painting whenever it comes to him. Like he doesn't mind playing the bad guy, exactly. but he's not a bad guy. Bad. And, and that's he's not like, a dirty player. That's what yeah. he doesn't like that they're, that they're saying he's a dirty player. And, and that's, he's like, you know, do you think I intentionally punched LeBron James in the nuts? And if that's really, truly what you think, then you have a twisted representation of who I am as a player. And so Dylan not wanting to talk to the media because people are twisting this and making it about something that it's not, that's fine. That's his right. You know, you guys are going to put stuff together and whether you want to believe that or not, the media paints the pictures and a lot of mainstream media guys determine what the public are going to think about these players. I saw a, a tweet where guys like, well, yeah, didn't Draymond Green say his entire team doesn't like him anyway? Bro, tell me that you've never watched a Grizzlies game in your entire damn life. With that, like, that's a, you have no idea. You have no clue about Dylan Brooks in this locker room and the type of relationship that these guys have. And because of a guy that has a microphone in front of his face, makes a comment, you take that as, as the gospel. The problem is the media nowadays is it's not changed. held to a standard. Yeah, they're the fans, bull crap, the, the, the Washington report, 
the the people that keep putting out bullcrap on John Morant, it's dug up old bullcrap that's already been addressed by Memphis media, and they're looking to build a narrative. And fans see this, they read it, and then you get this bad persona about this player. Oh, John Morant's a thug. John Morant's this. John Morant. And they're doing the same thing with Dylan whenever it comes to the villain stuff. So the players are getting pissed about it, and I don't blame them because it can absolutely affect what happens to them on the floor, how the referees view them, how they call their plays. If if it was John Morant guarding LeBron James when he got hit in the nuts, if it was Desmond Bain guarding LeBron James when he gets hit in the nuts, do you think that either one of those guys are thrown out of that game? Or do you think that that was because of who it is and because he's been jawing back and forth that that's why he got thrown out of the game? And you don't have to answer it. It's a rhetorical question. I 100,000% believe that the reason Dylan got tossed in that game was because of who he is, because of this built-up media persona of this dude being the villain. There are plenty of bad things to say about Dylan Brooks when it comes to decisions that he makes on the basketball court. And we'll get to this a little bit later, but I I think that the stuff that he's doing right now, the media, you're not hearing the media talk about John Morant before him, not talking to the media last night, the media focus during this series for the Grizzlies has been on Dylan Brooks because of what he's saying and what he's doing And you cannot tell me that's not by design. Dylan is smart. He knows what he's doing. He's taking the heat so Ja doesn't have to deal with it. And that's what a good teammate does. And so I I just, I think that these media members that have this sense of entitlement that these guys owe it to me have stuff twisted and I think that that's bullshit. It's it's not that way. They don't owe you a damn thing. If they don't want to talk to you, they don't have to talk to you. If it's an absolute requirement and you want to have a situation, uh, of, you know, you sit up there and you just say yes or no to a question and you don't really talk to them, then okay, fine. That That's because the NBA requires this. Then you're going to come, you know, you're going to be like, all right, I have to do this or they're going to find me. So I'm going out here and I'm doing this. But I just, I don't have that same mindset. And I know what we do here is not our primary source of income. And the guys that are throwing a fit about this, my understanding would be that what they do as a sports writer, that is their primary source of income. So there is a little bit of difference there. Maybe that's the reason my opinion is different than theirs. But I I just, I disagree with their stance. 100%. Yeah, man. yeah. I was gonna say, even if I was was a, the, the the lead sport columnist, Mark Giannato's columnist for the Commercial Pill, Jeff Calkins is a lead sport columnist for the the Daily Memphian. Even if I was in that position, I still would feel the same way I am now. You just shouldn't be have that entitled type thoughts toward this. It just shouldn't. That's not how you should approach it. It would be different if these guys never talked. Like you've talked to John Morant five hundred times this year. It's not like yeah. this is something that happens every game like I, I get like i said these guys are human they have emotions and sometimes they're going to make decisions sometimes they don't want to talk to you if i was 
pissed off after a tough loss like that. I don't think I'd want to sit in front of a, a bunch of cameras and, and got, have guys ask me questions because I, I might say something crazy. And if we've seen what, what Dylan has, has said things and how they've, it's been taken in the media and everything. Sometimes you just get sick of that, man. You say, man, I don't want anything else out there. I just want to play basketball. And again, I mean, they're getting killed for it. I knew they would get killed for it. I knew how the national media would, would kind of take it. But for, for their, their sake, man, I don't, I'm not pissed off at them at all, man. I understand not want to talk. Cause I think if I was in that situation, I might not want to say anything after a game like that either. And I know people say, oh, well, they've been talking all year. So who cares, man? I, I just don't really care about that if a, if a grown man decides he doesn't want to talk to you then he doesn't have to talk to you that's how i feel about it Candace, you've been quiet for a while what what are your thoughts on this do you feel like john Rand and dylan brooks should be required to talk to the media after the game uh i sort of so i, I agree with a lot of what isaac said um but i guess i do understand that it's a bad look I, yeah i, it, I, I get that I yeah. get that. Now, in terms of being pissed off, and I do think that some of the media has gone has, has gone too far with it in terms of, you know, saying, like, I think I saw something about John not being a good leader. That's too far because you don't understand. You don't know, even as a media member, you don't know enough to dictate whether his decision to talk to the media enough determines his leadership. I think that's taking one thing and projecting it in other areas that you don't really understand. Um but it is it is a bad look though. Like I can't. I'm not gonna especially for Dylan Brooks. I'm I'm more willing to cut job breaks because I mean the guy injured his hand at least twice. Like it, he re-injured the hand at least twice in that game. Like that the guys. I I know his 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 pain level. I'm sure alone. Like is excruciating. Dylan. I'm a little less likely to get off the hook because of how far out of the way he went to talk. Like. I understand the point about taking heat off a jaw. But again, like you said, Dylan's smart. Even his quote about his quote about uh I wouldn't mind LeBron got completely taken out of context. That was yeah. taken out of context. Definitely got definitely so, got taken out of context. So if, if you're if you're if you're Dylan Brooks and you know that really any little thing you say is gonna be, you know, can can take the heat off a jaw, then you don't have to go out of your way to say the things you said to take the heat off the job. I mean, really anything you say can, can easily do that because nobody was talking about job when they were, when they were talking about the quote about the him, him not minding LeBron, right? You don't have to be that as disrespectful as he got in order to take the heat. Um, So given that that's the case, if you're going to go that far out of your way, it's rightful to say, be able to answer questions and be accountable when it doesn't go your way. Because I think it's really just an accountability thing. Um, I'm not pissed about it. Um, and I really don't feel passionate one way or the other. But I understand a little bit of both sides. I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I do think there is some level, like Isaac said, about, you know, obligatory. I mean, they may get fined or something like but Dylan and, and Jod, like they're not worried about that. I'm pretty sure that's why no, he's happy to take on whatever <laughs> whatever uh, questions need to be asked. He couldn't afford them fines yet, man. Um, so yeah, it's not something I feel passionate about, but I do feel like it's a bad look. And I do uh and I do think it's a little bit more negative on Dylan because cause truly Ja hasn't really said anything since he's been back. 
from suspension. Like he's he's gone out of his way to make sure he doesn't say anything that could possibly be construed. So in terms of leading up to this series, if there's a guy you feel that should be held accountable for what he said, it's Dylan Brooks. You know, and that's the second time he skipped out on media, not the first. Um, but you know, I'm a little pissed at him right now. Not a little pissed. I'm pretty pissed at him right now. <laughs> so I'll admit maybe that colors my glasses, but I do feel like it's valid in Dylan's case. So this is the second time declining the media. And this is Jaws like first time I've come at, I'm playing through a pretty brutal, uh, injury, really toughing it out, man. Uh, I'm sure he is one to get straight to the locker room. Yeah. I, I kind of get what, get what Candace is saying about Dylan Brooks, but I think even, that would be even more so for the national media, like the local guys. Yeah. I, I don't know why they would be yeah. so pissed off about that. Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I, I like, I'm like, Kansas, I'm really numb. I really don't care. Like, uh, people were very passionate about, like, fans were passionate about us. And I, I think it has something to do with people just pissed off at Dylan Brooks in general right now. So right. anything that he does right now, it's going to get, get attention. But I, I just don't care. Like, I just want them to come out and win tomorrow night. That's all I'm yeah. really worried about. This wasn't they talking after the game and stuff. That's not even important to me. I think we you down 3-1 in the series. You got bigger issues on whether guys talk about right. after the game or not. Right. Yeah, right. T- t- taking the, the, the pitch for it. It's definitely – if you're gonna point the the arrow at one person, it's not gonna be one of the players on the floor right now, and and I will argue that point until I have no breath in me, because you talked about Taylor Jenkins and and oh you know he's gonna make adjustments because it's absolutely <laughs> necessary. I mean, and, and, I'm, and I'm not even convinced man. that that's the damn case, bro. I I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not going off on a massive rant. If you want to know how I feel about Taylor Jenkins, February 6th is the date of the podcast. And it's this is the hill. That's the title of the show. You can go back and you can listen. And my feelings have not changed from that time. I still feel like my statements from that podcast are 100% accurate. But I have questions, and I want you guys to kind of address them here. Number one, he was asked this post-game, Taylor Jenkins was, about Xavier Tillman being the primary defender and on LeBron and Dylan Brooks still being on the floor when he was struggling so much offensively. Why why didn't they play Luke Kennard instead of Dylan Brooks exactly. there? His answer was, I wanted my best defenders out there. <laughs> Dylan Brooks is better than Luke Kennard on the defensive end of the floor. That's fine. It's a cheap ass answer. That's mm-hmm. coach speak. Mm-mm-mm. It's not even true. I'm no, sorry. That's what I'm saying. It's not, cool. it's, not last night. I called it. Cool. Like, wasn't true. Like, well, in in theory, Dylan. I was Brooks, like, on paper. It, on paper, yeah, that might be true. On, on, on paper, Dylan Brooks is a better defender than Luke Kennard. On paper, for sure. But, but let's <laughs> let let's talk about something that isn't really that that this. I feel like has been kind of smushed down and pushed away. Santi Aldama is a negative 31 overall in the playoffs. If he ain't giving you shit, he's not he's not giving you nothing if he on the defensive end of the floor. Nothing. He's doing nothing, bro. No. You, you, and this half-court offense is abysmal. It is bad. Like, 
maybe not historically bad, but it's really awful. You know who can get buckets in the half court that's sitting on this bench that hasn't played a single minute? Kenneth Lofton Jr. Kenneth Lofton Jr. My God. The the lights are entirely too big for Santi Aldama. I know that you want to get him these minutes. You want to develop him, yada, yada, yada. This is the playoffs. This team has been about development, but when you get to the playoffs, you need to be about winning that shit. Whatever whatever, whatever you need to do to win, that's what you need to be doing, and that has not been the case, though. So you look with, with Santi Aldama on the floor, the offensive rating of this team is 111.6, which is not great. That's not awful, but it's not terrible. The defensive rating of this team with Aldama on the floor, 136.8. You are not beating anybody like that, man. You're not doing it. And, and we're, they're still trotting him out there. He, how much tape do you need to know that this dude has been absolutely dog water awful in this series? I'm Taylor Jenkins is not it. I said it in February. I will say it now. I will say it until he proves me wrong. This team will not under any circumstances win a championship with Taylor Jenkins as the head coach. And if it happens, if it happens, it's going to be in spite of Taylor Jenkins, not because of. And another thing to add to help prove my point, the end of the game, that play that he drew up when Anthony Davis blocked John Moran, there was point eight on the oh. clock. Oh, oh man. It was so, cannot, it's so bad. Like, what are you not so bad. tell me? You can't tell me, bro. There's no way that you, okay. This is a must win game. Essentially, like you, you don't get any more must win than where you were at last night. And that's the best you got, bro. You're getting, you're, you have one of 30 jobs in the world of you're supposed to be the best of the best, one of 30. And that's the best you could draw up. Now he, he is not it. I, I love what he's able to do as far as developing guys. But if this franchise wants to win a championship, Taylor Jenkins needs to be gone yesterday. Yeah. Um, I I 100% second everything that you said. Uh, I just want to take a couple of minutes to air out my grievances about (laughs) the Luke Kennard mess because it, it infuriates me to levels that I did not think I could be infuriated. So, So to go back to your quote, about Taylor Jenkins and wanting to get the defense. So I pulled the numbers in the playoffs because, you know, he's an analytics guy, right? Like surely, surely he want to pay attention to the analytics. All right. With Desmond Bain, John Moran, Luke Kennard on the floor, the defensive rating is 109.6. That's a, and it's 133.3 offensively. That's a plus 23.7. With Dylan Brooks on the floor, the defensive rating is 109.3. It's like 0.3 difference. It's really (laughs) not a difference. And the offense is 93.8 points per possession at a negative 15 on the floor for the playoffs. It's just the playoffs. You've had a big enough sample size by now to know when Dylan Brooks is on the floor, it's a negative. 
And when Luke Kennard is on the floor, it's a positive simply because of the spacing and because Luke Kennard is not nearly as bad of a defender as people make him out to be, period. He can he can at least hold up. He's serviceable. And the 109.6 defensive rating backs that. The guy's solid. He's not killing you defensively, but he's he's making everybody's job easier on the offense. And you played that guy 13 minutes. 13 minutes. In a game that went, what, 53? 52? Like, that's insane to me considering you watched the team go nine of 42 percent 42 from three nine of 42 from three and at no significant point did you decide it would be better to get some three-point shooting in there it, and what's more maddening to me and i'll i'll lay my plane here what's more maddening to me over anything else is i'm screaming the whole game if you go on my twitter i'm practically yelling where is luke even when they were on a w- winning streak bring back luke luke was so, yelling on the bench he was trying to get in the game go ahead yeah yeah he, luke and yelling on the bench he was he really was man and so they bring him in on the when the game's over like the game it's what and then Mealy comes in and hits a three, the, the, yeah. the boot. When, when the game's <laughs> over and it's like only seconds left, there's nothing the Grizzlies can do to come back in this game. He comes back in <laughs> immediately. I didn't even think he'd be able to hit a three because he'd been so cold on the bench. I didn't think it was fair to ask him to do anything productive at this point. And last minute I'm going, well, I, I could stop screaming for that because, I mean, he, he can't come in cold off the bench like that. And he did. It's, oh, mind-blowing i'll never forgive him i'll never be over it i will never be over you watching your team go 21 percent from three and you got the best three-point shooter in the league two years in a row now just collecting dust i it's criminal he should be arrested it's a crime why why make the trade why pull the trigger If you ain't gonna run him out there that's what i was was about to say man you you go out and get this guy you identify the fact you zach climbing though all summer Talking about their draft that they were going out to get shooting. Took Laravia that that didn't work out. Roddy, I mean, he can can knock down shots at a time. But they've talked about how much this team needs shooting. Everybody knows this team needs shooting. And you get the guy and you play him 13 minutes in a playoff game. He's the most important player off this bench, in my opinion. Even more yes. important than Tyus Jones. Your yes. advantage going into this series was shooting. That that's what you we, we when we talked about the advantages that the Grizz would have over the Lakers, it was shooting, and and that hasn't been the case. And one of the reasons is you're not playing the best three-point shooter in the NBA. Like, how is that even possible? Like, this dude is riding over the bench, man, and, and you need shooting. And you put him at the end of the game. He comes in, pump fakes. I think it was LeBron that pump yep. fake fly by, knocks down a three in the corner. I'm like, man, it, this you're going to bring him in at the end of the game. I I just don't get it, man. Um, and I've said time and time again, even and even when they play him, they don't do a good job of getting him yes. looks. Yep. That, that, that's another thing. They don't. Get, get in the back. There been even in their times where he's open and they don't pass him the ball. So I don't, I don't know, man. That's just criminal. The use of, of Luke Kennard and we've seen this. I give him credit. He coached. I think he did a good job in game two. But that's the only game in this series where I feel like he coaches just like they do the right thing for one game and they just go completely remedial the next. They go right back but, to the the, like, the bad things that they were doing before and it's just and we've seen it. We haven't seen it anymore. Three games, three and four went right back to what they were doing before. They've had one game in this series where I felt like they did some of the things they need to do. And even in that one, there were still some, some things that could have been done better. 
but he just I just don't think he's the guy. He's great at developing players. Uh we thought he was a a great culture creator, but that culture doesn't seem to be what we thought it was um, mm-hmm. at this point. So I, I don't know, man. I I think I, I agree that I don't know if he's the guy that gets you there. Might be a Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr type of situation. I I don't know. I, I just don't think he in order for them to win a championship, I'm not gonna say they can't win a championship with him, but you're probably gonna have, have to have a, a roster that you'd build on 2K. Just load it, load it up, like clear, clear cut best team in NBA. That he might be able to win one of those circumstances. But, he wouldn't play the guys. But he wouldn't <laughs> play them. But for for I mean, he's getting out coached by Darvin Ham. And I gave this dude credit going into the series. I was that was one of my advantages. I was like, he's gonna coach circles around Darvin Ham. And that hadn't been the case at all. It's ridiculous because he's been in these situations. This is Darvin Ham's first playoff situation. He's out coaching Darwin Taylor Jenkins by a mile. Team. Darwin Ham ain't coaching that team, bro. Man, he, yeah. he, he doing something, man. You, look, you look, in the, look in the huddle. No, no, hell no, I ain't giving that dude credit. I'm not doing it, man. You look in the huddle and look as, look who is controlling that huddle. Anytime that they've been in the Lakers huddle, who's I think the he, one he, that he, is he controls he, he controls rotations and stuff. Like yeah, he might he, not be he does he does do that. But when they're when they're calling timeouts and they're talking about strategy, LeBron James is the one that's like he's controlling hey, him over the there, there drawing it up, man. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> listen. Next time the Grizzlies need a play to win the game, like give him the clipboard because Jenkins ain't got it. <laughs> now, he might as well not have it. Like I mean, yeah. he's just bad with everything: the play calling, the rotations. He's still doing some of the dumb stuff. Keep kept jaw on the bench way too long in the first half. In their first quarter, I'd be like, what are you doing, man? Like, I just, I don't get it. And, and I don't understand how so many people, just fans, can see how dumb a lot of this stuff is that he does. And it, he just does it over and over and over. Like, he can't get out of his own way. It's like he's a robot. He has a computer chip. And he's controlled to do, he's programmed to do one thing. And he just continues to do the same stuff, man. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense, man. Like, I, I get I that you, I, I was going to say, I get that you want to, you feel like Dylan Brooks is your guy. You want to live and die with him. But as David said, this is the playoffs. If if it ain't working, it ain't working. It, 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 Dylan Brooks is getting cooked defensively. And if he's not playing defense, you definitely don't have him out there for his offense. So I'm Edwards, I, baby. You play <laughs> to win the game. Exactly. Like, somebody needs to tell Taylor Jenkins that, man. I'm not sure that he knows. Like we ain't out here to get to make Dylan Brooks happy. If, if Dylan Brooks ain't getting it done, man, sit him on the bench. That's Thanks. it is what it is. Big facts. Please, somebody. Mm-hmm. Or I, I thought if they started dealing for precedent, but, you know, just p- pleasantries, that they would still play Luke heavy minutes. I expected him to be the sixth man, basically, in the, you know, the first guy off the bench. And he just was not that at all. I I was surprised. I, I wasn't surprised when I saw they were still starting Dylan. You know, they should have started Kennard. But again, I just expected that they were going to play the guy. I'm like, OK, well, fine. You give Dylan his spot and then you just play Luke heavy minutes. I was blown. I wouldn't have even expected because I I think he played less minutes. He played less minutes this game than he did the last game. He played twenty five minutes. Um, and it was at game four. Yeah, he, four game. Well, we're about to go in game five. So game three, he played twenty five minutes, and now he and now he. I mean, they're decreasing his minutes, and he's every positive lineup for the Grizzlies. The all of the best ones involve Luke Kennard. Period. Period. For and, and it, team, it makes no sense. And, and there were some people that were that that 
big time Dylan Brooks defenders like Ed Memphis. He's a he's a big time Dylan Brooks guy. He was talking um in the space last night and he was talking about the reason why Kennard's not on the floor is because he gets cooked uh, on, on the other end. And that actually is not true. The numbers don't bear that right. out. And if you could watch that, he's not a cone out there. He plays hard. And the difference of what the the offset is, if Dylan's gonna kill you on the offensive end, though. So even if Kennard was killing you on the other end, at least he's gonna make shots if you get him shots. Dylan's not gonna do that. So I don't we I can't even hear that argument. Like and, and it's not even true because Kennard the Dylan wasn't playing great defense either. Like yeah. he was getting cooked he out there either. So cooked. yeah, so and, I can't even hear that argument. Like if that's your argument, then why is Santi on the floor? Facts, great point. And, and, and like, why, why? Why are you giving Aldama minutes? Like if you're not putting Kennard out there because he's getting cooked on the defensive end of the floor, then please take time to explain to me why you're playing Santi Aldama. Yep. And it's like there, listen, there are so many things that are wrong with this team right now. Tyus Jones, as far as I'm concerned, love him in Man, the regular season. Put him on a season. milk card. Put yep. him on a milk carton. I don't know where this dude right. at, but that ain't that ain't time, Ship him. Yeah, hey, you know who I would love to have on this roster right now? Kennedy Chandler. Yeah, give him some minutes. I yeah. Jones has been awful. <laughs> and, like, so he, went, he went too far. Yeah, he went too far. Hey, <laughs> well, hey, I, I guarantee you, he I was would, trying to support you. <laughs> Jones is shoot, his true shooting percentage man, the in this playoff series is thirty seven point one percent. Yeah, thirty three point three percent from the field. He's shooting seven seven percent seven, yep. not seventeen, not twenty seven yep. seven single digit <laughs> seven percent from three. This is the guy that you gave money to and you brought him back because he's the best backup point guard in the league. And he's arguably better than some of the starting point guards in the league. But when it matters, when it matters, Tyus Jones is shrinking inside of his shell and he's not playing basketball. I mean, they're not getting, they're not getting anything off the bench. Like the Lakers role players are just killing them and they're not getting anything. And that's what Saudi's not doing anything. Tyus is not doing anything. They're not using Kennard right. They're not getting anything off their bench. And that's the main reason why they're down 3 1 right now. David Roddy leading them in points is not okay. Yeah, that's that ain't it. I I love Roddy and I love what he's doing out there, but that shouldn't be the case. If you had told me that that would be the case at the beginning of this series, I'm like, oh, Grizzlies win this series. Oh, David Roddy's having a good series. He's leading the team and been bench scoring. Oh, the Grizzlies win this series in five games. But no, even in his start, even in in the start from Tyus Jones, four for 11 from the field, four five from three. He did have eight assists, but he's he's not himself, man. Yeah, Yeah, it's – he – I don't know if somebody needs to grab him by the shoulders and shake him to do a reset or like one of those like smacks to wake him up. I don't know what he, what he needs, but this is part of the reason the, the supporting cast of that Lakers team is not better than the supporting cast of this Grizzlies team, but they're completely outplaying them in the lights, man. You know, Rui is, the Lakers like gave a, up like nothing for him, bro. They they gave up nothing. They gave up John Conchar essentially to get him, and he is playing a massive role for them in this series. Like you know, we're we're talking a lot of crap on here because it's a Grizzlies podcast, but I severely underestimated Austin Reeves 
I'll give him his flowers. He's played well yeah, in the series. I, I don't like him. I hope that dude goes to Popeye's to get some biscuits and ain't got no drinks anywhere <laughs> in that, that whole facility. But like I underestimate him. He like he he is a great basketball player, good great basketball flopper. player. You know, like yeah, he, he definitely does. He's mastered the art of flopping. There's no that doubt about flopper. that. Get it. Get you're going to get awesome. the call in. When you're wearing the purple and gold, you're going to get those calls. And that's what happened. Nobody like, else does. My man think it was, better whistle than LeBron. Uh, he does. Was, like uh, my guy, uh, Zach uh, from um, was that, 56. Sports yeah, Zach said, yeah, Zach said uh, Hall of Fame whistle. And I was like, man, there's never been anything more true than that right there. It, it's, But he, he's playing well. Rui Hashimura is playing well. The guys that you did not expect to rise up last night, yeah, I, and that's, that's that's an outlier, man. You're not going to get that from. That's what I'm saying, but night. I'm just saying that you can't. But, yeah, but all all their guys, all their guys got off last night. All their role players, and that's the thing. And they Grizzlies just haven't been able to match that. If it, if it's not Vanderbilt, it's other guys. And Reeves has just looked like a an all star level player um, in this series, and. That just couldn't happen. Outside of last night, he's outplayed Desmond Bain in his in the series, and that's just something that can't happen uh, on a yeah. on a consistent basis. It's I don't know, man. It's just it's tough, man. But because, like I said, they they've done a good job on AD in in two of the four games. Like yep. he only had what 12, 14, 12, 12 points last night. Fourteen uh, points. That's 12, the second yeah, 12, game. Twelve points, eleven rebounds. And if yeah. you had told me that he would have that in, in a game, they I would guarantee the Grizz would win, and they lost last night. Yeah, to, to, to hold him to that and to still lose. Yeah, that's that's a tough. Huge, massive loss. Like you, you can't hold AD to twelve points and then not win that game. Yeah, period. Unacceptable. Because it's, I mean, your goal is to reduce your, the best, the other team's best players, and to hold down the role players enough. And they did that, man. They did enough to win. Well, the players did. I, I, I don't feel their coach put them in the best position to win. Here, just to go back to the I mean, well, actual, I don't know if we talked in detail about Dylan Brooks's performance. We talked around him, but his specific performance here. Another question I have from a coaching perspective is if we know, if you don't want, if you want to play Kate Dillon and keep him in the game, fine. Why do they continue to have him? So Josh sets the high pick and roll, and the first person to his like, I guess right. It's always Dylan Brooks. Like why always, Luke Kennard there. Like why not stick? Literally any. If you're if you got him on the court for defense, fine. Why are you setting him up to literally be the closest outlet to the ball handler most of the time coming up the court? That the guy, yeah, insanity. I've seen Roddy. I'm gonna say Roddy has learned to, to, to get in that spot a little bit. But when 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 Brooks is in a game, it always ends up being him. Like yeah. why not put Gennard in that same spot yes. and let him get those that that, that shot? Like I sometimes I it's Bane, but it's it's crazy yeah. why and, and the thing too to go Bane doesn't that, even get there. It's not even there enough. Right, he should be. <laughs> and the thing is too, if you know Dylan struggles to be efficient, it's again putting your best players in position. The corner three is the easiest three to make in the like it's the Mark easiest him three in the corner. Stick him in a corner. I mean, mm. he's got a better chance of making it. And then if it's not, if it doesn't go to him, the other person has got a lot more higher chance of just hitting the shot. It gives you, it's, it's two ways. Just making that one move benefits you. It makes Dylan Brooks better and it makes the team better just by default of switching his position without getting into the politics of benching him. Like it's ABC stuff. 
And that's bonkers to me. And and that lets me know you've, I mean, you had no other way to say you giving him the green light. To put him in that position means you're okay with him taking those shots. And if you don't know by now, Dylan Brooks is an inefficient shooter, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know. They know. And I was going to say that mid-range shot is there for him all the time. Like, and I don't, it's just crazy. I I don't know if I've ever seen a guy have the green light that he has and just continues himself to continue to take those shots with it and and don't make them and just all game continue to take. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy that that shoots like Dylan and continues to take shots at 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 the clip that he does. Like, it's it's insane. It really, like, that he takes the most play, he takes the most shots with the least like least makes or the lowest field goal percentage. I think second to worst maybe is him. And I think it was like Killian Hayes or somebody like, it's like you think bad. you think he'd be embarrassed at some point to just stop shooting himself. Even if they're giving him a green light, like I'm going to try to dribble and get to this mid range pull up or something, man. Like I, I don't know, man, but he just, he's just going to fire away. He go all 40. If he it, got the shots, he don't care, man. It's, it, it's shoot or shoot, baby. Shoot or that's shoot. On, that's on the coach, oh. man. That's, that's it, it absolutely is. That's on the coach. And that's what, Stan Van Gundy was talking about this in the, in the few times that that national broadcast team was talking about the Grizzlies. <laughs> when, when the Grizzlies are doing that, when you have Dylan on that wing right there, that is exactly what the Lakers want because they're going to fall off of him and they're going to slide over to double jaw. So Josh can yeah. go like that. He kicks out to him every time. Them, yeah, and <laughs> to a guy that you want shooting the ball, Rui Hachimura is open because that's who the Grizzlies want shooting the ball. He's stepping up. Dylan Brooks is not. And so why not have Desmond Bain, who is a capable shooter? Why not have Luke Kennard, who is a capable shooter, in that position because then they can't cheat off of them. <laughs> if they cheat off of Bain, yeah, he's going to make Johnson. them pay. Yeah. yeah. If they don't yeah. cheat off of him, John gets to the rim. Yep. And so it's – there's no that- way – like I feel like I say this way too much. There's no way that we see this and that coaching staff does not. But night in and night out, it's the same thing over and over again. And why? Why Why do you keep letting that happen? Hell, even move Jaron over there. Yeah, yeah, give, give give me Luke, give me Bane, give, give us me anybody Jaren. on the team, yep. bro. <laughs> like Santi has been dog water in this series, but give me him, man, one hundred. Like, like give me anybody on the team that's not named Dylan Brooks. And if you've listened to this show any at all, you know that I'm the the biggest Dylan supporter out of this crew. But there's no excuse for what he's. He has not been as good on the defensive end of the floor as what he can be. He's not been good. So, yeah, like he's not helping you there, and you still have the inefficiency on the offensive end. And he's like, my guys will live with the shots that I take because of what I bring to the floor. Well, bro, I I got bad news for you. You ain't bringing a mother thing to this floor right now. Nothing. You like you, what, whatever you think you're bringing to this floor, you're leaving in the locker room. Like it, it's not, it's because not there. The thing, the thing with him against LeBron is he's not big, he's not big and strong enough to, yes. to guard Roddy and, and Tillman do a better job on him. 
because yep. they can't push him off the they, LeBron can't push them off the off the block like he can Dylan when he's guarding him. He just yep. pushed Dylan out of the way and just yep. bustles his way to the basket and there's nothing Dylan can do about it. Like Tillman yep. and, and Roddy never stronger frame. Dylan, when he goes the Muslim like that, Dylan needs to take the foul. But Dylan's problem is his ego is so big, he's not going yeah, he to go all the way with fall him. down and take yeah. that. Like he's just going to take absorb the contact, and he's not going to draw that offensive foul. Yeah. I, I don't. There are adjustments that he can make on that. He's just not doing it. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to keep beating on that dude because it's like. But Ronnie and Tillman have done a better job on LeBron than. That Dylan has, like I think Dylan yeah. probably did a did did a, a decent job, probably as best as you can do when 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 he guarding he's guarding him. Yeah. But yeah, man, if Dylan's not playing defense, right. there's no reason to have him out there, especially in a situation where you need offense, like late in the game. There there was just no reason for him to be out there. He wasn't. He was a negative on both ends at that point. And I I, I don't know, man. Uh, it just is what it is. And we've seen this stuff from from Jenkins over and over. And I I think once somebody tells you who they are so many times, man, you realize that's what they are. I don't think there's any maturation process that's going to happen. I know he's a young coach, but I think he, this is what we're seeing. I think this is Taylor Jenkins. I don't think this is something that he's going to grow out of uh, down the line, man. He just might not be the guy. I hate to say that with such a young coach, but you can't just continue to, to waste time. And the thing about it is, though, I don't think there's any thoughts of, making a change, uh, and I was talking about this in the space this morning, is because this organization, it, it's a blessing and a curse that from the front office to the coaching staff all the way down to the ball boy, they're basically one person. They're on yeah. one accord. There's nobody that's going to check anybody. Taylor Jenkins doesn't have anybody on that staff that's going to check anybody. Like I think he could bring in a bulldog type assistant, but they're not going to do that because they're an organization that they don't want to bring anybody in that's going to buck the tree and if you bring in a guy like that, they might go against something you're saying, and that's just not what they are in this organization. And that can be a great thing, but it can also be a bad thing, depending on what you're talking about. And I think when it comes to coaching and the staff, I think it's a bad thing. And I don't think the front office is, is thinking about making a change because Taylor Jenkins is their guy. Uh, shout out to Young Harris. He kind of brought up the situation with my Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones kind of being the same way is he's not going to go out and bring in a coach that's, going to stand up to him. He wants a guy that's kind of a yes man, whatever they they want to do, he's going to go along with it. And I feel like the Grizzlies are kind of that same way. I don't feel like they're going to bring in... Don't you put that on the Grizzlies. Don't you do it, man. It's, a, it's the same thing, man. It, 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 well, it's we don't know. Situation. It's a little early for that. It, it, it's a little early to determine if that's the case. The Cowboys been like... bad for 30 years now, bro. This is yeah. new with the Grizzlies. We well, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they, would be, they were bad for 30 years. Cowboys are actually probably been the, the, more, one of the more consistent teams in the league. They don't ever win the Super Bowl, but they're usually they're never terrible. Like even when they when, they, when people say they're bad, they're eight and eight when they, when they're bad. Like people never have terrible, but never good. That's what it is. And that, well, I, mean, <laughs> I think this is different. It's too early. It's thirteen it's and four, really, man. You know what I'm saying thirteen and four this season. So it's anyway, a little right. early to, to say that. I think that it's a it's a, it's a case if he's still here after next year and they have a first round exit. Then I think it's a valuable discussion about if they're if they're not true talks about that. I think they're going to say we didn't have Stephen Adams, we didn't have Brandon Clark, and that's and that's it's a reasonable I, logic. Now, if you want to be <laughs> proactive, then you can see what is what is to see, and you can move forward. They're not going to do that for that reason, but I'm not sure that makes them Dallas Cowboys. I think it's a fair it's fair to say 
the guy didn't have all of his players. I mean, I'm not saying that they should get rid of him, but what I'm saying is that even if they did, I think they're bringing in somebody similar to him is my point. I don't think that they're going to bring in the coach that people won't, would want them to bring in. I, I don't. I, I think that whoever they bring in, it's going to be an analytical, same type of guy that's not going to really go outside the box. That's how I feel like this franchise is going to operate. That's just what I feel about them. And I, I think if, even if they got rid of him, People are not going to be happy with who they bring in. Very similar guy, I think. I think you might be right. I, I think it's a little early to to, to say that though, because they have made some of the some of the moves they made with go ahead and making the trade for Luke Kennard when nobody really thought you know there was a big question about they were really going to do anything. I think even personnel wise, they're like that. I think I, I think there's certain kind of players that they wouldn't want to bring in. Like it, it, you go back to the draft, and it, this is getting completely off topic. A guy like a Jaden Hardy. He's a guy that that's gonna take a lot of shots. He's an offensive guy. They they don't, as an organization, they those are the type of guys they want to bring in. Like they do have some guys on the team, like we talk about Tillin Brooks that are already like that. But as as a team, there's certain kind of guys personnel wise, even that they I think that they like, and certain guys that they wouldn't bring in. Like some guys, you guys that have off the court problems. There's some teams that'll be willing to bring those guys in. Grizzlies aren't gonna bring that type of guy in. Like they they're just. There's certain things they're they're a button up organization and they're a little bit different than than some other teams. They're just clean and analytical and and they just want to bring in certain type of guys that are going to. Sometimes you end up with those type of guys. You talk about Jaza ja, can, can be boisterous and a guy that's superstar type guy, but if they can help it, those just usually aren't the type of guys they're going to bring in. But we'll see what happens down the line. But that's just kind of my thoughts on on how they operate. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you necessarily. I, I guess I will. I say I feel like it's possible to find a guy who understands, uses, and respects analytics, but also knows how to make in-game adjustments. Like I don't think just because you're analytic doesn't mean that you that you will refuse to make in-game adjustments. When when I guess that's I guess that's what I, where I stand. I think there are coaches out there that use analytics and believe in analytics, and that can fit the core values of what the front office will want. Because it's simple. Adjust. It really is. Like, <laughs> the difference is it's just make adjustments. Make in-game adjustments. And I think if they find a guy that emphasizes that, I- I'm sure they can get enough of what they want culture-wise. Um, now, you're not going to get, I agree, you're not going to get a boisterous personality-type guy. Like, you, you, you're not going to get that. But, you know, it's not a ton of NBA coaches that I think are like that anyway. Like, maybe Jason Kidd. But, you know, more more often than not, most coaches do tend to be on the buttoned up side, and it's just a matter of how much they use analytics or don't um, from there. Yeah, I'm gonna pick up the phone and call Becky Hammond. Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, here's this Springs truck. Come on to Memphis. Let's go first. first uh, one to uh, I'm in, sure they they, they can get her if they, they can get her if they want her. I guarantee you. If, if they yeah. offer the job, she's taking it. <laughs> so I'm I'm I would be the happiest Grizzlies fan on the face of the planet if Taylor Jenkins. Got walked out the building, and Becky was announced. <laughs> I I don't think it is. I, I don't think it is. And some people will say, "Oh, well, you finished second in the West back to back years. Why do you want to fire your coach? I don't, it's not exactly. always greener on the other side." Because I don't give a flying flip. That's what I'm saying. If it's about being a playoff team, I don't. They're three and one. They're down three to one to a seven seed. So yeah, I second the rest doesn't really mean anything. 
Yeah, I, like, I, I, like I, I get what you're saying about, yeah, like the Cowboys have had success. They've made the playoffs, but you can't, like, you will not convince me that over since the, when, when was the last year they won with Emmett and Aikman and, uh, what, what year was that? 95. So yeah. since 95, you're going on, it'll be 30 years in two years. <laughs> hey, in, man. in that, in that 30 year run. Going too hard, man. I'm just I'm I'm not trying like no, I'm, I'm, just you know, I'm, I'm just giving you crap because of the Cowboys. But <laughs> as, as a fan, if you give me the option of all right, you can have eight bad years and win a championship, or you can be in the playoffs for 15 years straight and never win a title. I'm taking one championship in a lottery. Oh, ring! Give <laughs> yep. me the ring, and, and that's that's where I'm at. Like. Yeah, I this team is fun to watch. I love playoff basketball, but I'm I don't I don't care. Like I want I want a championship, and I do not think that Taylor Jenkins is going to be that guy for them. Yeah, Mike Budenholzer won a title in Milwaukee because of the roster that they had in Milwaukee. It was not yeah. because of Budenholzer, right? I've said that before, and I'll say it again. It, it like that team was constructed very, very well, and they won that title because that team was constructed so well, not because Budenholzer had this great, like massive, giant galaxy brain epiphany. That no, but that people, team. people were ready to fire him. If yeah. he was ready to fire him in that Eastern Conference Final Series, they, he was getting ready door and ended up winning the championship. But yeah. I, I think and this – go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's it's the same for me with Taylor Jenkins. All the stuff that you see with him, it's the same with Taylor Jenkins. And unless you hit the lottery, unless you're like, okay, this is exactly the piece that we need, you find it, you're able to get it without just completely depleting everything on the yeah, team. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, put and a, you plug a it in. <laughs> yeah, like it, you're not going to get that from Jenkins because he has I, – I think you either you or Candace said it earlier in the show. Like we, we've seen this from him over and over and over again. It, it's not going to be – I just don't believe for one second that he's going to wake up one morning and no. turn into this coach that figures it all out. Like, is he good at what he does? Yes, he is. He is a good NBA coach, but he is not a championship coach. There is a difference. There, there's, def- there's definitely a difference. There, there's. A, I think we may with just a, outside of having a insane roster. I think we've seen the ceiling with him. Like, I, I don't see him having a lot of growth like he's and i'm not going to compare him to level of talent but he's john conchar like we know what john conchar is like john conchar is not old, a old guy but he doesn't have any more ceiling to grow john conchar is not all of a sudden going to turn into a much better player and i think that's kind of the same thing with taylor jenkins he he's a good coach that's why i'm saying i'm not comparing him as a coach to what john conchar is compared to other nba players but as far as there's being a ceiling guy I just don't think there's anything else that we see from Taylor Jenkins as far as growth. Like you can improve the roster and, and maybe that gets you there. And this organization, I, I don't, there's no chance that they move on from him this offseason. But they got some decisions to make um, roster wise. I don't want to talk like the series is over because, like I said at the top of the show, I feel like they still have a chance. But just projecting forward, we have 
a lot of time to talk about that in the future. They 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 have some some big time decisions to make this offseason. They can't come back status quo or just go in and, and trap a lot of guys and just run this back. That's that's yeah. not what they're gonna be able to do next year because if you do, you keep on doing the same thing, man. You're gonna get similar results. Like I I, I just don't know if that process is gonna get you a championship, and, and that's just kind of where I'm on that. Sorry, Ken. Yeah, now I just wanted to add that, the, that I would I would I was kind of going in the direction you you just went in terms of climbing and in this that you you want to be very careful not to become the Memphis Jazz because you know you don't want to be that team. It's constructed the roster's constructed different, but in terms of results, Jazz were never a team that anybody saw as a real threat. Everybody knew yeah. they were going to be regular. Yeah, that one seed, two seed. Yeah. Yep. Everybody knew they were going to be dominant in the regular season. They were going to get to the playoffs, and they were going to get they were going just become first second round exits second round exits at best and if you're if you're gonna do like kind of what Isaac said and that's just kind of running back then now the Utah Jazz they were an older team it was, it was a little bit more of an older core than what it is with the Grizzlies but the concept is the same in terms of complacency and just talking yourself into oh this didn't go our way and this didn't go our way we're just gonna run it back you'll find yourself in no man's land and your window completely gone and having to blow the whole thing up with a core that was talented enough to potentially go the distance. Now there's questions about Rudy Gobert, but you know, in general, like they had a core that was especially early on that you could see really going places that they had a done right. If they had a made the right decision. So like you said, it, it's definitely not over series wise, but you know, it's real. Uh, it's, so it's a critical offseason in terms of, I think, on a lot of levels, from a personnel perspective, I think even from a culture perspective, I think from John Morant, and, and we've, talk, we've talked about that, and, and him having to rethink, you know, what kind of player he wants to be. Um, it just, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to follow, you know, how this team goes just because there's a lot of things in question right now. Like you say, even you hinted at the culture. It's a question of even, is is that the right culture that you want to be uh, continuing to build with? Um, I don't know, man, but we'll see. But it's still, like I said, still got, got series to play, play that out. Um, the Rizzies aren't completely out of it for sure, but um, a kind of crossroads moment for the Grizzlies organization for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely that. Sure, uh, another great example, you know, you were mentioning the Jazz, but I, I think, to me, the pieces that the Grizzlies have, I think, are better. Like, so yeah. Donovan Mitchell's a fantastic piece. Rudy Gobert is a good defender, but I, I go back to OKC. That that's been the comparison that I've made uh, a few times. Yeah. And and okay, OKC, that team with three Hall of Famers. Probably four. I think Serge Ibaka, you could argue, could be a Hall of Fame player. Um, the coach, Scott Brooks, was not enough to, to get them over the top. Yep. And by the time that they made that change, it was too late. And that's what that's what I'm scared of yeah. is it's there's a fine line whenever it comes to this, specifically for small market teams, because you can't, you're not a free agent destination. This is not New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Houston. This like, and, and I, I threw Houston in there because of the 
like it's a big city, right. but also the the income tax, right? Like you yeah. you get more money if if you play in Texas because there's no state income tax. But Memphis is not that. So you have to play your cards right or you could play yourself out of championship contention. Right. Yep. But I, I think you, you have to be willing to take risk. And I, I think, I hope at some point this front office realizes that, okay, Taylor, you've done a fantastic job steering this ship and getting us to this point but we need somebody else to push us over the top. That Golden State team, Isaac said it earlier, Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr, that that team was essentially constructed with Mark Jackson there. Steve Kerr comes in, they win the championship. And I I don't know that I'm willing to give Steve Kerr that much credit. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm it not was a, the, It was the coaching the staff coach, yeah. that they brought in. So they had Mike Brown and... Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you just, have to construct the right. It's not just about the head coach. Steve Kerr, I think, is a good coach. In order to manage those personalities, you have to have a level of talent of understanding to be able to do that. Yeah. But I don't I, I I don't think he was the best coach on his staff at any point. In his Kenny Atkinson on his staff, they had a lot yeah. of great coaches on his staff. And so, you know, I think that in order for the Grizzlies to get to that next step, you have I'm Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, John Moran. Those three are good enough to be a core for a championship. Yep. You have to get the right stuff around them. You have to have shooters out there that can defend because John Rance a subpar defender. Desmond Bain is going to be a service little bit defender. He's never going to be an elite defender. He will just be okay. Like he's going to be, you put him out there and he could hold his own against the second option on another team, depending on who that is, but he's never going to be an elite wing defender. He he just doesn't have the tools. He doesn't him. have the link. Yeah, I mean, and that's and, and that's fine because you have an absolute freaking beast playing the backdrop for you that can help cover for those mistakes. So you have to have the pieces around them, and I think some of those pieces are here, some of those pieces are not, mm -hmm. but the decisions that they make, if this core does not win a championship, some mismanagement happens somewhere. Yeah. And that's that was – my whole point did this offseason. Um, and a lot of people, not to rehash this all the way, but a lot of people took what I was saying wrong. Like it was, they were just looking at it on the surface. Like I was saying, oh, well, they kept Kyle Anderson, D. Anthony Melton. That means they were going to put this team over the top. And it wasn't so much about. Sure wish we had them right them. now. Yeah. I, a lot of people still uh, won't concede that, but I, I, I would love to have them still on this roster. But it wasn't necessarily about them. It was their, the philosophy that scared me. Like, mm -hmm. You're coming off of season where I felt like last year, if they hadn't got had the injuries they had in that Gold State series, I think they end up in NBA Finals. Whether they would have beat Boston or not, that's a different conversation. But I believe they would have went to the finals. And I just even a super young team, like I didn't feel like you should come off that season and say, okay, we're losing two of our vet rotation guys. We're just gonna be arrogant and say, okay, well, we're just gonna draft guys um at, at the bottom of the first round and we got 
some other younger guys that, that are going to take this big leap and we're just going to be able to fill those guys in. It's going to work. I just kind of felt like that was an arrogant philosophy. And I mean, I think anybody being objective can see that there were some mistakes made. They put all their eggs in the Zaire basket and I'm still not giving up on Zaire, but it didn't work out. They thought Contra was going to be to step in and be the backup for DeAnthony Melton, be the backup shooting guard. That didn't work out. You, you can't, when you're in a position to be a championship contender, you can't lean that much into unknowns. And, and that's what they did this offseason. And that's what I'm hoping they've got away from. Now, if you look at the trade deadline, according to reports, they were out being aggressive and maybe they're willing to kind of fast forward this and move into another era of how they're thinking, move into a different ideology. But that's just kind of, that was my concern that the longer that you play this, you put yourself in a dangerous situation like what David just mentioned. Of, of kind of missing your window um, and being in a situation where you got money tied up in the guys, which that's what's happening with these contracts coming up that you don't have as much flexibility that you once had. And you, and you in hindsight, look back and said, man, we missed some opportunities. And that's was my only thought this offseason. It wasn't so much about Kyle and Melt, even though I feel like this bench would be better if they still had those guys. But I mean, they, they, they fixed the guy, Luke Kennard, with a trade, which I think was a good move for, for, for the podcaster that we had on the roster. And I mean, I think, outside of that, I think they did, they, they did a good job of fixing that. I just hope they continue to move forward and not lean so much into development because I think we're past that point now. I, I will say to your point, Isaac, I, I think they're at a point where it's obvious this team needs a veteran. I mean, I know they have oh, 100%. veterans, but it's obvious they need like an alpha veteran. Like that's, that's obvious. And so I, I I hope that helps as a guiding light to almost force their hand because they they sort of self-imploded. I mean, they didn't kill them. I mean, they 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 managed to stay afloat through all of it, but they they it has some self-implosions. And there's I mean, uh, you could argue that Dylan's situation is a bit of a self-implosion in, in and of itself. So I was gonna say Santi, Santi taking a leap helped them some. That if if yeah. Sonny hadn't become a rotation player, it yeah. would have really been bad. That that yep. helped to kind of help some of the stuff that they did this offseason to kind of help them along. If he hadn't taken a leap, which it would have been Webin Yama to Memphis, that's what it would have been. <laughs> David Roddy, believe. David Roddy is yeah. giving. Yeah. He showed up when he's been called. Yeah, like I think they they believed in Sonny, but I don't think it was their plan for Sonny to be the guy. I think Laravia was supposed to be their yeah. guy. Like I feel like they really thought Laravia would be a player this year, and that didn't work out. I think Roddy was supposed to be the the developmental guy out of the two. And it just kind of worked out the opposite way. Yeah. I think they were trading up to get Daylon Terry and the Bulls took him, but that's what yeah, yeah. I said that too with everyone. When I said that people yeah. got pissed off. No, you don't know what they were doing. They they yeah. got their guy. They wanted, I was like, all right, man. They, they wanted exactly to raise exactly what they're going to say. That's exactly <laughs> what they're going to say. So, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. We've been going a little bit over an hour here. A lot of great conversation. There, there are a ton of positives. Number one, I think that the Grizzlies can still win this series. It's, this is not me melling it in. The season's over. But whatever happens moving forward from here, there are a lot of things, a lot of issues that the Grizzlies have to fix. If this series does end in Memphis, I hope it doesn't. I really want to be annoying to some Lakers fans walking out of the building. Um, but I, I think that it's safe to say the decisions that they made in this offseason were not 
necessarily maybe long term it plays out being the right thing, but I, I just don't think it was the right move for them this offseason. I think that you'll see a shakeup heading in the next offseason. I'm just worried about what that shakeup's gonna be and who that player is. You never know who's gonna be available, what's gonna happen. Um there there's a lot of things. Atlanta is in, in a spot where it's like unknown ground. What are they going to do? Is is John Collins going to be available? Are they? Gonna hey, I think they think they about to blow. I think they about to blow that up. Yeah, like, are we going to see Trey Young in a different uniform next season? That yeah. their Jalen Brown has kind of voiced some irritation with Boston as a city, not necessarily the organization. <laughs> um, you know, there there are a lot of rumblings around the league has Zion been playing possum and just waiting to get traded to the Grizzlies so he can come out <laughs> and play 80 games and be the four here with Jaron at the five, because when he's healthy, he's nasty. I'm I'm not going to root for him with him being a Pelican, but you know, if they traded for him and didn't give up a whole lot and added that type of explosiveness and he came here and found a way to get healthy, that'd be pretty nasty. Just saying, just saying. So we'll be back with a post game after game five at some point. I think Candace and I will both be at that game. It's so up. it's more than likely going to be the the day following that game. But until then, we'll be on Twitter, not front running, still talking trash to Lakers fans because <laughs> the Grizzlies are better than the Lakers. I said it before when it was nothing, nothing. I'm going to say it even when the Grizzlies are down three to one. I think that this team is better than Lakers. They just have to execute and get something, some sort of resemblance of a bench player that's worth a crap. So hopefully that will happen over these next few games and the Grizzlies win it in seven. You can get yeah, they, uh, I'm Go going. Ahead. I was going to say, even if they lose tomorrow night, Grizz and eight, man. I'm, I'm just, Grizz and eight. We, come, we coming back. We rebooted it. <laughs> the show is on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I'm at NBA D Will. You can find me heck on Twitter at Candace H901. Uh and, and start Luke Kennard, man. That's my campaign. Start Luke. That's it. Uh Isaac, take us home. Yeah, man. I, to your point, I was hoping they would. I knew he wouldn't, but but I, I felt like it was the a good thing to do. You saw Draymond come out the bench after after his suspension with Golden State. I was thinking, man, it could could Taylor Jenkins bring Dylan Brooks off the bench? I knew he wouldn't, but I think it would be the right thing to do. But I don't think we see that going forward. But as I said earlier, man, final thoughts for before we here. I don't think this series is over uh, because, as David said, I feel like the Grizzlies are the better team, even though they're down by three, three, they're down three to one. Everything we've seen in this series, I still feel like the Grizzlies are the better team. But if if Stephen Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark had played in this series, the Grizzlies would have beat them in five. I yeah. said that earlier. I had Lakers fans coming after him and they can say whatever they want to man but anybody looking at the series objectively could see that that the Grizzlies but I, I think even in the state they are now they're the better team if they play to their full potential we just haven't seen that yet but if they could, were able to force it all the way to a game seven two out of those three games are in Memphis and this is the, this team had the best home record in the NBA uh this season that's why I feel like if they can get it to a game seven they'd win it and they're they're due to win a game on the road I mean they're Owen they go in 15 Owen 16 in road games where they're the underdog this season. They're just due a regress to the mean. They're due for a win at crypto. They're 0-4 at crypto. Man, it, it would be tough to go in there and win a game six, but 
definitely not impossible because, again, I just feel like they're the better team. But you get to show, as David said, at Ethos Grizzlies. Go over there. Give us a like and a follow. Uh, Grizzlies will be back in action. Game five. Hopefully this is not the last game of the season. 6.30 p.m. tip uh, tomorrow night, early tip. So excited for that. Uh, you can find me on my personal Twitter page at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. That's I-S-A underscore underscore NBA. And until next time, we're gone. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.